Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fucksters? Welcome to WTF. I am Mark Marin. Thank you for being here. Today is an interesting show. I've got E from the Eels talking and playing, but I've met Mark before and uh, we've had, you know, he's a deep dude, man. He's been through some shit and the songs that he played were, were fucking beautiful. And then, of course, there's always the, the slight envy I have uh, when I talk to musicians because I want to be a musician. I, hold on. Let me turn up my guitar and uh, here, what, what, can I be this guy? Can I be that guy? Is there, is there room for that guy? Come on. There has to be. It was spontaneous. Maybe I can turn that buzz off now. Did you hear that buzz on my guitar? See, that's tolerable, I think, with guitars. It adds to the grit. Not tolerable when you're listening to your new record player. And I think I've, I've ta- I don't have any more space for records. It's, it's a little crazy. It's a little crazy. Well, no, I, I, I will take any records you send me because I enjoy them. It's better than crack. I'm not, I'm starting to think not as, uh, I'm starting to think that equally as expensive as a drug habit, if not more, if you commit to your obsession, anything can be as expensive as a drug habit, just perhaps not as dangerous. I may run out of space. I may need to get a new house just for my records. If I could afford a new house, I kind of want a new house. If anyone wants, has a house in the Highland Park area that they want to sell me, let me know. I'll come over and buy your house from you. I'm looking for three bedrooms, two bathrooms, if that's possible, for under a billion dollars. Because quite frankly, uh, what I'm learning in a relationship, and this has taken me, I'm 49 years old. What I'm learning is that it's best to say yes as often as possible, even if it hurts a little bit, because it makes life easier. That's, uh, you know, I've heard that before, but I was like, no, man, fight for your, you know, fight. You got to fight. You got to hold your place, man. You got to, you know, you got to stake out your territory and, you know, and have some like, this is my shit. This is the way I think. And if you got a problem with that, what? Okay. We have, okay. Whatever you want to do is fine. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I'm on vacation right now. I'm just telling you, I don't know. You don't need to know that. Let's talk to E from the Eels. Here we are, Mark Everett. I'm Mark Marin. You know me, kinda. Yes. I feel I, I feel like I know you. I don't know why. You know, we did that one interview a while back, and from listening to your songs and your music, there seems to be a, a river of woe. <laughs> <laughs> There's a tone, man. I was trying to figure it out today, and I went inside and I was listening to records, and but uh, I just uh, there's a tone that kind of goes through most of them. What would you call it? I mean, would you call like, is it melancholy? Is it longing? Is it sadness? You know, I get saddled with being that guy a lot. But well, I don't want to do you it. Know, there are, no, you're not. I'm not saying you're doing it. But there is, um, 
to me, I'm just trying to reflect life and yeah. the, all of the different flavors and shades right. and colors of it. And there's um, a lot of uh, joy uh, mixed in with all that stuff. And a lot of it is all, you know, getting through the dark places in the uh, in the name of getting to the, the bright place. And that's what the, our new album is about that nobody sent you, of course. <laughs> I, it, it, like, I wanted it so bad because it's called something happy. It's called Wonderful Glorious. And yeah. I'm like thinking like, yeah. you know, E... Is taking a turn in his life, right? Did you? Is that is that true? Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's not that I've taken a turn. Yeah, I, I think I've just been um, trying to take a turn my whole life, you know. And and it's just getting a little more successful as the years go on, hopefully. But you know, life's hard for everybody. It's not easy for anybody, and you know, every day you're met with tons of challenges. Yeah. You and I are about the same age. We've been around a while, I think, right? We've seen some shit. We've seen some shit. I don't think I've seen as much shit as you, because I remember talking to you the first time. It was a while back, but I think I ended up in a documentary you did. That's right. right? You ended up in our um, Live at Town Hall documentary. Yeah, we, we were jamming in that little room, probably early in the morning. There was some funny stuff that happened. Yeah? Was good. yeah. What, what happened? I can't remember, but I remember it, like last time I saw it, I was laughing. <laughs> and then the last time I saw you this time was at Judd Apatow's screening. Right. How did that happen for you? I mean, when I saw you there, I'm like, what are we, what, why are we here? Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> so would they just reach out to you? I was just happy that you remembered me at all. Oh, uh, come on. I, um, well, I did a scene for that Apatow movie with I did a scene with Paul Rudd. You were in there? Oh yeah, I got cut out. Oh right. shit. Yeah. Oh so but, that was... but Judd put it online recently too. Oh. So it's out So he there. threw you a bone, let you eat some food. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, with, <laughs> yeah. With the other people. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> well getting to act with Paul Rudd was like the funnest thing I've ever done though. That was really fun. Yeah? yeah. He's so he's a funny guy. He's he's exactly what he appears to be, I think, on screen, just the nicest guy. What ever. was your scene? It was a scene where I played like a heightened, even more asshole version of myself, and I was signed to uh, Paul's oh, record label. Oh, I get Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I come in and I play him a new song, and he loves it, and then I tell him that I'm leaving his label to go to another label. And why was it cut? And the, I jo mean, the joke is, you know, that why would I bother to play the whole song? Mm -hmm. for, that I'm that much of an asshole that I play him the song, he says he loves it, and I say, yeah, you know who else loves it? Warner Brothers. Uh-huh. Was there any resentment? <laughs> no, no, I expected it. I mean, Judd films a lot of stuff. Yeah. And in fact, I watched them filming that whole day, and nothing I saw that day ended up in the movie. And I saw some amazing, great scenes. I, yeah, I don't know how one makes choices. It's got to be tough. I mean, with music, it's a little different. But let's, because I have a lot of listeners, I, I'm not sure, like, are familiar with you. But I mean, that the first Eels record was Beautiful Freak, right? Yes. And that thing was a huge record, and it sort of changed my life because you locked into some sort of chord progression that I think, I, I don't know, I've talked to other people about this who are musicians, but you have favorite progressions, don't you? Like, there are certain tones that you're like, this is the one that where, where my heart connects well, to. Yeah, I mean, there is stuff that, you know, everybody has certain things like that. Yeah. Uh, that they, like, you, you'll notice a lot of John Lennon songs are the same chord progression. Right. And Dylan too. There, there's certain yeah. builds, right? But like to me, if it resonates with you, I mean it, that that's you know that's your key in, man. That's your portal into the feelings that you have. Yeah, you just got to find ways to dress it up differently a little bit. <laughs> yeah, 
but uh but nova came for the soul was it was a big song and you i mean you didn't you grew up in a rural situation didn't you no i grew up in the suburbs of washington dc oh, in, right. in northern virginia so northern was, virginia it was sort of like orange county in virginia uh-huh but your but your old man was uh, in the uh in the the science racket that's right yeah he, he was the parallel universe guy what do, what, what do you want to talk about that sure <laughs> can you explain it to me can you explain oh well i don't know if i can do that i mean it's you know it's the whole thing that you see in movies and science fiction for a long time it's all based on his theory that you know anything that can happen is happening in another dimension he was that was your dad that was my dad <laughs> yeah and is that is that a theory or is yeah no it was it was his you know his thesis and you know uh, in in the documentary that was on uh, Nova a yeah. couple years ago that I was in about my father I I went into the Princeton archives and they showed me the actual you know thesis the paper yeah the actual paper and how now did he uh, did you did you spend your whole life with him I mean were you, your folks married and he was, yeah actually they were married until he uh, he died when I was. Um, 19 and uh they were married they never split up but uh he was a constant presence for those 19 years but a I, good one no i mean it was, he was a physical presence but i didn't i couldn't <laughs> tell you much about him I, i've learned a lot about him recently yeah but i didn't learn anything about him during those 19 years why because he never said anything <laughs> ever he was just Re- extremely rarely you know like, it was always like this amazing thing between my sister and me whenever he would like say something. Yeah. We would kind of look at each other like, oh my God. It's talking. It said something. Yeah. <laughs> was it like just because he was a science personality or was he just a brooding guy? Did he smoke a pipe? I think it was a combination of he had a tough childhood and he was a physics genius who got brushed under the carpet and wasn't taken seriously he was 24 when he came up with his theory and he took it to the leading physics quantum physics guy in the world at the time in uh, the main in guy copenhagen yeah they had a showdown and my father was you know had enough hubris to think he's gonna change this guy's opinion which would mean knocking him off the mount rushmore and, of quantum and, physics and, and replacing it with this 24 year old kid is yeah. like, this is actually why your theory doesn't work this is why my theory works yeah and of course the guy wasn't having it and it ruined my father's life and that was the end of physics for him he just gave up and the end of talking and the end of talking to me yeah <laughs> it might have been but now in in retrospect in your research about your own father i mean is it what do people think of that theory now well, now it's it's gained a lot of uh, followers, and there's a lot of uh, physicists who think it's the the real deal. Really? Yeah. And this is just recently. Well, it gained over the years, and he had one shining moment while he was still alive in the um, late '70s. Uh, th- this guy, who's like the leading quantum physics guy in England now, uh, was actually at this conference in Austin, Texas, that they invited my father to, where they suddenly said, "Hey, wait a minute, we've." We should pay more attention to this theory. <laughs> and so he, my dad was, you know, had a brief, exciting resurgence while he was still alive, but that was all. Uh-huh. And what what is the practical application of that theory? Do you know? I mean, like, what is it? What does it show? What, it, what is it? I mean, I don't mean to talk about well, your no. dad too much, but I mean, well, how it, did it affect it's you? Hard, it's hard to fathom because it means uh, that anything that can happen is happening. So, like, with every choice of any action, you know, like right now I'm talking to you and I'm waving my hands about. Right. Uh, but I could just pick up this hammer and smash your head in, and yeah. that's that's happening somewhere. 
<laughs> in your mind at that moment. Gosh, why did I go there? I don't yeah, know yeah. I said that. <laughs> no, because there's a hammer there. There's only a couple things you can do with I, t- I like to use dramatic examples to try but to does that count? get the point home. Is, does it count if it's just in your mind? Um, no, no, it's not about in your mind. It's about, According to the theory, it's really like all these different planes. Uh-huh. You know, the, there's multiple universes. That's what, yeah. that's what it's about. Oh. And in this documentary, they explain it scientifically why it makes sense. They show like with like light experiments and stuff why there's holes in the standing theories that don't make any sense. Does your brain go to those places? No, I didn't inherit that at all. And that's who I am in that documentary about my father. I'm the dumb guy that you get to learn <laughs> through the dumb guy's eyes about this theory. <laughs> his son is perfect. He doesn't know his father really that well because the guy didn't talk. And he doesn't understand anything that he worked on. Look, I'm so glad that I <laughs> didn't get into physics because there's nothing worse than being like, you don't want to be the Julian Lennon of physics or whatever. You know what I mean? I'm glad I got into my own thing. <laughs> You're fine. And maybe, fun. you know, maybe I'll have a son who will be a physics guy and that'll be good. You know, No kids yet? Not yet. Is that going to happen? Well, maybe. Yeah? It's, you know, it's the nice thing about us guys. We can do it anytime. I know. I hear it. And I, I'm with a girl who wants them. I was wondering your thoughts on it. Because your, you know, your book is called... Things the Grandchildren Should Know. Yeah. Right? Well, you know, so you better better make that happen. Yeah. I got to get to the children first. Yeah? You got you got somebody... I thought I'd go straight to the grandchildren. Yeah. Well, I mean, I kind of look at it as sort of a, a... Like, it's a book anyone can pick up and be like, oh, this is for me because I'm a, I'm a grandchild. You know, I did a, uh, you, you know, when you put a book out, there's a, you you go to like the, the book convention or whatever, and you sit there and you sign copies, and there was a long line of uh, old ladies that were getting them because, uh, for their grandchildren. They didn't yeah. understand. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And I, a gift and, book? Yeah. And it's I just, a children's book. Right, and I just thought, man, this is not going to go well when the kids <laughs> open this one up. <laughs> Why? <laughs> what do you, what, what is the, what is I mean, it? it's graphic and shocking and dramatic. Yeah. Everything a good book should be. You grew up with this father who was regimented, scientific, and uh, quiet. I mean, you must have been chomping at the bit or ripping your fucking eyes out at some point. I mean, where did it all start to... Well, I got to really give him credit that he let me play drums in the house for that whole time, since, yeah. I, since I was six. Yeah. And I wasn't the kid who like got a drum set and lost interest in it. I did it every day mm-hmm. for 10 years or something. That was your main instrument? That was for a long time. So... I don't think I could stomach that, you know. So I got to give him credit there. <laughs> but when you were a kid, like wh- who were like what kind of music was driving you? Uh, I went through like every phase you can imagine, like in whatever I would get obsessive about whatever it was. You're I forty. Would, would, how old are you? Forty eight. Forty nine. I'm forty nine. Huh. So that means we were in high school. We graduated high school in what eighty eighty one. Yeah, eighty one. Yeah. So you and I caught the sort of crashing wave. Of the fucking sixties, and we went to high school right in the middle of disco. Yeah, we missed we missed the best stuff. Yeah, we missed the best. But stuff. I was in. I got into all this stuff like few years after it all happened. Was always my. I'm thing. still that way. Yeah, I, I I still miss everything. Like yeah. when we were in high school, like punk was starting to happen, but it didn't really take hold. And you right. had to know a guy right. who was into it to fucking. Right. But it was all Zeppelin. Yeah. Like if you didn't want to yeah. do the right. the disco thing, yeah. and then the knack showed up, and like what is that? Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Like were you like were you doing the the buttons and the skinny tie? No, no, no. I, I like I was like you know the same thing. It was like with all that I you know missed everything when as it was happening. I couldn't get into anything as it was happening because everything seemed uncool because it was happening. Right. So I was always into something from you know five years earlier. Were you a Zeppelin guy? I yeah, I had a Zeppelin phase. I saw them live twice in eighth grade. Really? Yeah. And I uh, Jimmy Page came to 
our show last year, uh, which is an awful experience. The because, Eel Show? Yeah, because if you're a you know a, a guitarist guitar. uh, and you know Jimmy Page is watching you all night, you're just thinking he hates this, he hates this, he thinks this is terrible. Uh, but I met him and I said, hey, does this look familiar? Capitol Center, Largo, Maryland, 1977. And I made the face of a kid just wide-eyed staring up at the stage. <laughs> what did he say? He said, uh, no. No. <laughs> And then I met John Paul Jones shortly after that and did the same gag. Yeah, and, and had that go over with him. He kind of, you got to laugh. He kind of acted like he remembered me. Jones seems like the cooler one of the two, really, in a way. Wow, Jimmy Page was super cool. He was such a gentleman. Yeah, yeah. Did he compliment your guitar playing? We, we used the same guitar pick. Oh yeah, which one? Pete Townsend saw my guitar pick and said, "That's what Jimmy Page uses." Which guitar pick, dude? Yeah, I got one right here. Oh, that's, that's what Jimmy Page uses. A Herco Flex seventy five. But as my guitarist uh, Chet pointed out in front of Jimmy Page, Jimmy gets better results with his pick. <laughs> oh, look at it. See, there's a that's a tenacious D pick. Oh man, it's giant. But like, who were the uh, like? So you go from uh, you go from Zeppelin then to who? When did you start using drugs? Oh, I, well, I was such an early bloomer. I I was I quit doing coke in tenth grade. Really? <laughs> yeah. I kind of made, made my, I modeled myself into a model citizen around 10th grade of high school. It got that bad? Yeah. I didn't, well, it wouldn't, it didn't get that bad. It was just, I, I recognized the ridiculousness, you know. On your own? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what events? Like, we, we'll give, we'll give me events with each drug. Coke. And in 10th grade, well, You grade. know, I actually don't remember any Coke events or anything. I don't even remember actually enjoying it. I think that's why I was just like, this is stupid, you know. Acid? It was all because I had I had a few acid experiences, but only like four or five. Yeah. And I, I think I documented all this in my book. I, I was at a, literally at a Grateful Dead concert when I realized this is all just too stupid for me. I, I had, <laughs> I did a, yeah, I had that at a Jerry Garcia concert. Yeah. <laughs> You were you were surrounded by dancing hippies, right? And you're yeah. like, I'm... and you realize how full of hate all the hippies are. <laughs> the, the hippies got evil on you. Have you seen the show on HBO called uh, Enlightened? Yes, I love it because it's the first time there's been a character that is a archetype that I know in real life that I've never seen before in in a movie or TV where it's the angry hippie. Yeah, yeah. well, she's uh, one of these sort of new uh, struggling with new age spiritualism to solve her problems right and she's and, so full of hate yeah well you know there's that weird thing about hippies i've met a couple evil hippies you know and there, <laughs> there's no doubt but you were at a grateful dead concert and you were just like oh this is horrifying yeah, yeah so like, that was that this is just stupid and yeah. booze no booze wasn't a big thing really for me i um I, you know, it was all because of my older sister. I had a sister who was six years older than me, and she just took me everywhere. We were very close. And she have good records. She was, she had, yeah. I, I slowly stole her record collection and mm -hmm. and just hung out with her and all the older kids all the time. And she was just part of a you know nonstop party scene. Yeah, and she uh, she turned out to have some problems. Yeah, she was messed up. What was that? She didn't seem so messed up when she was younger, but as she got older, it became more and more apparent. What was it? Well, I you know, it's been diagnosed a bunch of different times as different things. It could have been bipolar, it could have been um schizophrenia. You know, it I don't really I never knew what to make of any of the diagnoses, but she did end up killing herself. Yeah. Did you when did you visit her in the hospital? Well, she was in the hospital so many times and she had, she'd tried to kill herself many times over the years. For real. Like not like cry for help stuff. Or... You know, it was always hard to tell. You yeah. Know? But then when when someone does it for real, you figure, well, it's they meant it. You know. <laughs> oh God, 
it's so fucking horrifying yeah i mean like i don't like my you know, my father's bipolar and you know used to threaten it a lot Ooh. but uh never really you know it gets to a point like sadly with people who are like that where you're like all right well get on with it we're gonna Right. you know what i mean i don't yeah, know yeah i know i mean i know what you're saying and like people that haven't been in this kind of situation are aghast to hear that that kind of thing well that's just because they're amateurs who haven't been through this you know <laughs> right it's yeah. because the emotional knowing that you can't help them right really yeah and nothing you can do other than eventually sort of detach and go i, I don't know this you're gonna do it or you're not right i'm, I'm not defying you to do it but I, I don't know how to help you yeah and that went on for how many years Gosh, I mean, it's you know, it started when she was in her late teens or whatever. You know, when she was like thirty-eight or something, by the time she died, did she uh, was she able to sort of manage a functional life at all? Or? No, not really. No. no. So, and then in that album, that was also the uh, your everyone sort of went in a in a like a very short. Yeah, it was a it was a very intense, tragic time for me it was like she well i mean you know my i found my father dead when i was 19 so that happened way back and then and then how'd she, that happen the, the, what, what uh he had a heart attack he's only 51 and uh he just i was only one home when it happened so that was a whole traumatic thing oh my god and then when the first eels album came out like just right like within weeks or something of that coming out was when my sister died so that was intense because my life was changing in a huge way and then that happened and so it was like really a tumultuous weird time for me and then right after that my mom got diagnosed with cancer and she died a year or two after that that's like and and you were already sort of heavy-hearted weren't you <laughs> well you know I am, I am my father's son technically <laughs> <laughs> when did uh, music start solving some of these problems oh right away when yeah. i when i was six and i i'd gotten i bought this toy drum set at yeah. the neighbor's garage sale for 15 bucks and i played them at the uh first grade talent show yeah and i brought the house down yeah yeah with a little uh what did you do some solos <laughs> well oddly all i did was i put the a record on of the star spangled banner and then i played like a trap drum set to it somehow i don't you know i think all there is is like a drum roll through the whole thing you know but i just went crazy like the keith moon version yeah of the, Star Spangled Banner and the in the place erupted. It really, yeah, well, I was like first a, grade. They were just like, sort of like you. I became like an instant celebrity. It was at, great at the school. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah all of a sudden, I was the drum kid. You yeah. know? <laughs> everywhere you went in town. Yeah. Hey, yeah, you know, they, um, I don't think it lasted very long because it was like towards the end of the year, of course, and then, yeah. and then you come back for second grade and you're just starting from scratch. Right. So when and, and then when did you start playing guitar? That came later. My sister had a guitar that. Um, she started to neglect as people do and i just kind of stole it and started to whoever was around you know one of her older friends that knew how to play guitar i'd say hey teach me a chord or two and then you know just pick up chords around the neighborhood so she was six years older than you yeah so literally like so when you were born that was so she was already a kid. so like in the 70s she was kind of getting into stuff like 11 or 12 and you were still a kid so that was all around that kind of music and that yeah. kind of partying and like yeah. bell bottoms and shit yeah she because she was actually around for like the 60s right she was kind of the right age for the beatles when they were happening and that kind of stuff and i was too late for it we were born in 63 and she was already six so by 69 yeah. she was 12 oh right yeah so that was like the mind-blowing time yeah. yeah oh my god so at least she got to time that right so you got so you got this guitar and then what were the first sort of uh, band configurations? 
Well, then I had in high school, I, I was still playing drums the whole time through all this other. Yeah. You know, I was learning songs on the piano and guitar too, but I was, drums were still my main thing. And I had a band that played like, you know, blues rock in high school and we became kind of a big high school thing. Could you swing? Could you shuffle? Could you do it? Oh, I can do it all, man. Yeah. You can fucking do it. You're the sticks, huh? I, that's still the thing I could play best. Really? I don't get to do it very often. Why not? Because I got a drummer. <laughs> do you have any desire to get back behind those things yeah once in a while i do and yeah it's, and it's really, always really fun when i do blues rock really yeah so like, like i was in virginia yeah you know? yeah so <laughs> so were you playing bars and shit yeah yeah mm. doing covers i was playing in bars like when i wasn't legally supposed to be in a bar yeah yeah like what were some of the tunes man um you know a lot of um almond brothers and uh yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, good guitar player? Yeah, we yeah, we had a couple of good guitar players. Yeah. Yeah? You keep in touch with those guys? No, no. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> when did you uh when did you come out here? I came out here um in the late eighties and I was twenty four, I think. And I uh and when I look back on it it was just insane because I drove across the country with everything I owned in the car, and I didn't know a single soul in California, period. And it was just the most insane thing that I just can't believe I'm sitting here and it turned into something. When did you, what, what was the impetus? Why did you, why did you? I just that? had it with Virginia. I was just like, wow, you know, I was just felt, I just felt like a real desperate soul. And like, you know what, I, I know it's crazy, but I might as well try to do something with my music. Yeah, and, and you, I, you didn't go to college? You did your, I you did, did, but I didn't finish, and I didn't care about it the whole time. I Where'd was, you go? I went. To, I went to a couple of different colleges. Yeah, uh, um, Virginia Commonwealth and George Mason. What were you studying? Uh, well, I ended up. I I never had a major, but yeah. I ended up leaning towards Parks and Recreation. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> Because I, 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 none of them appealed to me, and I thought, you know, this. Is, I, I didn't know I, that was. A, uh, it's an actual thing. Yeah. And what what yeah. would you study in? That? Well, what I liked, I don't, I, know, yeah. I didn't get very far with it. But yeah. what I liked about it was the idea of like, you know, I'd be like a ranger or something. I just hang out in the park all day. I, it's probably sure. not. Get a nice hat. Ended up. Yeah, get a nice hat. Yeah. And, you know. Maybe some shorts. Yeah. Kind of walk around. Yeah. How but are I, you doing? I, I never got that far. So. Be careful with that cookout. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't feed the squirrels. We yeah. got too many squirrels. Yeah. Do you have that in you? Do you are you a nature guy? Do you do that? Well, why that appealed to me at um, at the times I was working at a gas station, and I really liked working at the gas station because it gave me a lot of time to sort through my thoughts and stuff. You know, just standing there and collecting money at the self serve island and putting gas in the yeah. full service. Oh, back in the day, where you actually yeah like, yeah yeah, and I I, I liked that cleaning uh, windows, cleaning windows. Yeah. Do you, Do you have a cycle of thoughts that was there a circle of uh at the time, I really needed like that kind of thing because I just was so full of ideas and trying to sort it all out and make sense of it all, you know. Like what? You know, music and songs and yeah, you know, and just you know, what the hell to do with your eighteen-year-old life? Were you yeah. writing stuff down then? Were you writing songs? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was it like did it uh, did any of them sort of hold? through to like uh, beautiful freak or anything uh, there's a couple of things that from like really early teen days i think that stuck with me somehow that i turned into something else later yeah were the, are they phrases or words or a hook or sometimes like a melody and sometimes a chord progression or sometimes a, a lyric yeah. yeah yeah so okay so you you load up you leave your home 
your parents are like, what? Or they were like, good luck? It was just my mom at that point. Oh, yeah, yeah he was already yeah. gone. Did that, when you found your dad uh, uh, dead, I mean, both of my parents are still alive, so I can't identify with it. But in, in, in looking back, since you- Wow, so you still got a Christmas shop? I don't, we don't do that. <laughs> you know, I, uh, occasionally I'll write my dad, he'll write me an email and I'll write back, I don't give a shit, leave me alone. Really? <laughs> I love you, but don't do this anymore. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> wow. Why do you still bother me? Mm -hmm. I thought I was through mm -hmm. this. Wait, See, that makes me feel better. It might be how it would be for me, too. Then, so, yeah. yeah, I mean, the only thing <laughs> after a certain point that can change is you. Because, <laughs> right. you know, they're not yeah. all of a sudden going to be like, I'm ready to be your dad now. Dad, I'm 40. Right. You know, I, I, I covered that. Right. Well, what were the feelings that, like, what do you remember immediately outside of grief, how they defined you? When I found my father yeah, dead? Yeah, That was a really weird situation because um, I was... You know, I had to perform CPR on him and everything. Right. And you uh, heard him drop. No, oh. I found him okay. laying there and I called for an ambulance and they taught me how to do CPR. And uh, they had me pick up his body and put it on the floor. And it was just weird to be touching my father, you know, because we just didn't have any kind of relationship really. Right. So it was very strange to be in this weird, intimate situation, but he was dead. Yeah. And so that that's enough of a mind blower right there. Yeah, it was it was hard to know how to feel. Right, you know? right, because you didn't have this. Di you didn't have a relationship. It with was him. just plain old weird. <laughs> did you <laughs> did you find yourself uh, grieving at some point? Yeah, but yeah. but it took a while to you know figure out what yeah. I was grieving. You know, right. And in terms of like, have you put together like? Because I know with parents and with myself. That if you don't have them there in a real way, in a grounded way, or in a way that you can engage with, you sort of kind of fall through life, you know, looking for that. Right. Do you have those feelings? Yeah. Or you, you don't know. think it through that much? I mean, I might as well have been raised by wolves, you know, like, and I, they just didn't know what they were doing with kids, you know. They, had, they didn't have malicious intentions, and they weren't mean parents, right. you know. Right, But they were just so... Um, like it was like a th the classic case where I had to be like a little adult, yeah. And like I, right. I had to say, straighten your act up, Mister, right, know, to myself. And so, I kind of gave up on them pretty early on, right. And your mom too, in in a sense. I mean, she was she was like a warm person. She was really a, a very kind and warm and loving person. So I'm grateful I got that yeah. from her. But she was also a little bit of a. Um, kind of lost little girl uh -huh. you know. yeah it's weird when you realize that your parents are not <laughs> capable that there's that moment where you're like they had no idea what yeah they just thought they were supposed to do this right and then yeah. yeah and here i am and i guess they probably had their hands full with your sister most of the time right yeah my mom like basically spent her whole life taking care of my sister so when you came out here the idea was what i'm going to be a singer songwriter or you didn't really I didn't really know I just knew I wanted to do something with music and I probably would have been happy to you know just work making coffee at a recording studio or anything you know who knows what could have happened depending on what it, I didn't get any opportunities you know for three years I was here and it was just a nightmare what were you doing I was just working a lot of really shitty jobs that I hated and uh, not getting anywhere. Nobody, I was, I was, but I was always doing um, what they call the Nashville handshake. Like whenever I met anybody that was in the music industry, I have tape. 
You got mm-hmm. a tape? Yeah, put, put tape in their palm. What was on the tape? You know, whatever four songs I had just recorded that week, I was I was constantly writing and recording, like, just obsessively. Like, I had, you know... What was your equipment, hundreds though? Hundreds of songs. I mean, were you... I had a four-track cassette deck, um, and my recording studio was literally uh, my closet. Yeah. <laughs> and you just wait... And I only had one speaker. I didn't I didn't have room for to make stereo mixes, because I couldn't... I didn't have anywhere to put a second speaker. Did you have s- drums? I did not have drums. I had a were drum you... machine. Yeah. And yeah. so you were playing guitar and singing the songs. Yeah, and layer and and, uh, and I bought a Fender Rhodes piano at a, a yard sale, and then I add that into the into the mix. So we're like when you so where were you living? I was living across from the Burbank Airport. That's how clueless I was about California. Because like <laughs> I like hearing this stuff because L.A. can be you know one of the most isolating, sad fucking cities in the world. Yeah. And and when you really don't know anybody and you don't even know where to live. Right, like you feel yeah. like you're on another planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I now just picturing you in your closet with one yeah. speaker and your four track yeah, no, across was, from the Burbank Airport. Man, it was depressing. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know, and I lived in this uh, like duplex uh, yeah. downstairs. There was this guy that sounded like he was always beating up his kids, and and I had roommates. One of them was a cokehead. You know, it was just dark, really he dark, was, dark he, times. He was at it all night. And- have no, people coming over and no, no, it wasn't that bad. But he was, mm-hmm. you know, irresponsible cokehead roommate. Was he? Uh, did he have uh, show business aspirations? Not that I recall. <laughs> <laughs> so when did the uh, Nashville handshake pay off? Well, eventually it did. That's the amazing thing. Eventually, I uh, yeah, I met a guy uh, named John Carter. At uh, uh, he he worked for Atlantic Records and. I, I couldn't believe it. He called me the next morning and said he really liked the tape and wanted to sign me to Atlantic Records. And I like, you know, I just couldn't believe it. Were you like, come on, who is this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, he left me this cryptic message with no callback number right. or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. to fuck with you. And of course, I didn't get signed to Atlantic Records then because the president of the label didn't share his opinion about my tape. Uh huh. So that was another crushing defeat, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it led to him becoming my manager, eventually, and then um, that did lead to him getting me a record deal. And what was that? That wasn't Beautiful Freak, though, right? No, that was the, so. First, I did two records just as E. Yeah. And uh, so that that first one came out in 1992. So it's been 20 years since I had a day job. It's a fucking beautiful thing. It's a, it's the greatest thing ever. Like I, I know that like when I talk to somebody like you who I've talked to before and who I, whose music I enjoy, but I know that there are people that are like just fucking e freaks and eels freaks, and I'm going to do some tremendous disservice to 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 them by not not being in, in, enmeshed enough in your entire catalog. Well, you know, I I think of myself as an e freak, and I, I think you're doing fine. <laughs> <laughs> but let's go let's just go let's just go through them so the first record was just you the first e record yeah, yeah well the you know there's really no difference in my mind it's just the name change because the, the manager carter at the time told me you know it's, yeah, you need a band name and you know, I, don't, I was like okay well, what's gonna change he's like nothing <laughs> yeah <laughs> so how'd you come up with the eels he came up with it because and this was a really short-sighted idea of his that um and he just died recently, so God rest his soul. But this was a dumb idea. He said it'll be eels because you got these two records called uh, under E. Yeah. And this way they'll be next to each other in the record store. <laughs> and then it wasn't until the first eels record came out, and I was in the record store. And I was like, hey, well, let's see if that's true. And then I see there's like 28 Earth, Wind, and Fire and <laughs> Eagles records in between them. 
But there you were. But then I'm stuck with the name. I'm still using yeah, it. You know? Let's see. There yeah. it is. Hotel California, Eagles Greatest Hits, yeah. Eagles Greatest Hits. Yeah. <laughs> but and so but the first Eagles record, Beautiful Freak, was was how, you and how many other people? I mean, how how do you work with well, a musician? Well, you know, when, when when it came out and we went on tour and everything, there was it was a three-piece band and a few of the songs were recorded that way, but almost all of it had I had already done. Yeah. And wasn't uh, actually the three guys that went on tour right i often do something different when we go on tour and perform the stuff live than what we do in the studio we make like one record a year it seems well i would like i would like to do that but it's more like one every two years usually maybe and then sometimes there was a four-year gap at one point what'd you do during that gap um well what i did was after that four-year gap i put out three records that came out six months apart from each other so you're just loading up but yeah so everyone thinks that i probably made each of those records in a hurry like i made the first one and then quickly made the next one so it could come out six months later but no i had four years to make all three of them but i didn't know that you did you your father worked for the government as well yeah then when he gave up on physics he ended up working at the pentagon so how old were you then well that was the 60s so i was a really little kid did you go to the pentagon i no i don't remember ever going to the pentagon but i did go as part of the documentary about my father yeah. And I was amazed they let me in. So who made this documentary? Well, it was originally made by the BBC, and, yeah. then, and then they played it on Nova. Here. And it, But was it one of those documentaries where it's like, this guy, we need to give this guy his due? Or were you part of the package where you're like, this guy's got this you know, this rock kid? Yeah, no, the, yeah they, they, they had the whole thing planned, and they just came to me and said, do you want to be involved in this? And I thought, I guess. You know, I don't know. Do I? And I just took a chance. I thought, well, this, is, this will be interesting at the very least. You know, But yeah, I thought they did a great job. And so he worked right in there in the Pentagon. You no, know, he was like very high up, you know, advising presidents about uh, war. Really? Yeah. And how did, uh, did you have feelings about that? Well, I, what I learned in this documentary is that he did something that um, surprised me, that uh, he, he was uh, kind of instrumental in telling them, don't make so many giant bombs like you're you know it's going to be too devastating and it's you know not, just not can, to do. can't but, have him around yeah so yeah. He, he actually did something uh, good yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> now when when 9-11 happened you had some speculation about that oh well the really weird thing about 9-11 was that my cousin jennifer um was a flight attendant on the plane that hit the pentagon and first her and, and her husband, they were both flight attendants on it. Your first cousin? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that was a weird one, and I always wondered, I and mean, I don't want to know, like, what if that's where my dad's office was? Where they hit? That would be, you know. Does your, does your brain naturally do that? Try yeah. To I always do, like, you know, I have that kind of brain that always wants to think of the most inappropriate or shocking thing. Yeah, or connect the dots. Or know, connect the dots. Yeah. You, you know, like, yeah, there's got to be some semblance. You know, there's got to be some... Well, that's horrible. I mean, you've had some fairly horrible sort of losses. In, yeah, in, but the the positive thing that can come out of that, if you're lucky and work hard enough on it, is you can... Um, it can help you to, like, really savor the good stuff in life. You know? Yeah. What do you like? Well, I'm, you know, I'm like any anybody, really. I, you know, it's it's you know, I like rock music and girls and food, bo- booze and yeah. food and like whatever. You know, all the great pleasures in life. But like, 
the point is that I, I need to appreciate all that stuff, you know, because I, I know what it's like when stuff sucks. Right. And what, where do you stand with, uh, with God? Anywhere? Um, I'm trying to think of some pithy one-liner, but... Yeah, I, I, I can pull an Oscar Wilde number on me. <laughs> I don't, you know. I mean, whatever. Yeah. Where, where you, I, I have a feeling I stay in the same place you do. Yeah, I, I try. <laughs> I'm, I'm fairly non-committal. You know, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Occasionally, I'll get a little mystical when right. when he starts saying things like, "I wonder if the plane hit my dad's office." Right. Yeah. So I mean, that, the that life is... life is full of these weird little surprises <laughs> where you go, like, "Gosh, maybe I don't know everything." And I like when that happens. But you can actually say, "Maybe my father was right." You know, like maybe, like not only do I not know everything, but there's a lot going on in those other three or four universes. Yeah, that's true. So now let's get to Wonderful and Glorious, the one that I wasn't sent. It's called Wonderful, comma, Glorious, technically. There's a comma. Now is this- uh, Very pretentious. Is it it a change in direction, man? Well, what's different about the new record- um, more than anything uh, is that it's extremely collaborative with the band that I've been touring with for the last few times we've been around the world on tour these guys uh, we hadn't all re- we wrote all this stuff together yeah so uh, and that hadn't happened before yeah and and who are these guys these guys are uh, Chet Peebu Knuckles the drummer mm-hmm. and Honest Owl on mm-hmm. bass they all have funny names and uh, they're just like you know, I think a lot of groups that are married to the same members uh, tend to make the same record over and over again sometimes because they're limited by the imaginations of those four or five guys. And so that's one of the reasons why I often have rotated the personnel of the touring eels. Yeah. Uh, but I haven't had the, felt the need for that with these guys because uh, they're just so talented and have such big imaginations. And where'd they come from? What's their pedigrees? I mean, they're just dudes, like L.A. rock guys? Well, they're like most of the people I work with. They're just nobodies that I turn into somebody. No, oh, look at you. <laughs> I'm the idol maker. Yeah. <laughs> now, in a lot of... The- and, then, and then ultimately, I can't afford to work with them anymore. Yeah. Now, when you tour, like, who do you go out with usually? I mean, as op- as opening bands. Like, oh. have, have you seen guys that you've uh, gone out with, like, just become superstars? Oh, yeah, that phenomenon. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's happened to us that much. Maybe it has, and I can't remember. I think probably once you open for us, it's, um, it's just the death knell. You know, and it's, <laughs> and it's all downhill after that. <laughs> and how would you meet Pete Townsend? When did that happen? Oh, when did that happen? He was doing this thing. Um, he was doing this little like internet TV show with his girlfriend um, in a trailer uh, next to the main stage at a festival yeah. in, in England. And, yeah. I, and uh, he just uh, asked if I wanted to be on the show. And I was like, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Were you a Who guy? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I went through major ninth grade Who Whoism year. Probably lasted a whole year. Yeah. Instead of the usual two months. He's like, uh, like his, like when you really listen to him play guitar. I mean, he's just a fucking wizard of he's rhythm. He's an amazing guitar player, and like, and it's bizarre. No and, one plays and, like him. And the best guitar tones, yeah, you know, like just, just so meaty. Who are your other guys? Um, guitar, Page. guitar guys. Yeah, yeah. Jimmy Page is an amazing guitarist. I mean, nobody can deny that. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You yeah. like, uh, you like uh, Angus Young. Yep. Yeah. Fucking great, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. 
Now, when do you, when did you shift out of uh, you know like the the classic rock mode into you know a more because it seems like when you listen to the records, you got a lot of things going on. Got some static going on, some talking, some record skipping, some uh, maybe a, a light light uh, a light hip hop influence. Definitely some punk rock sensibility. Yeah, I, I went through everything, you know, and I, I went through like heavy country phases, and I went through a heavy bluegrass thing because you know there was a bluegrass station in Virginia when I was growing up, and uh, you know I like well, all the the classics, Hank Williams and yeah, and George Jones, George Jones, amazing, oh, great, yeah, right? Yeah, fucking Willie, Willie. Who yeah. doesn't love Willie? How can you? How, how can you not love Willie? Yeah, you have to. Yeah. This should be a law. I've been Willie Nelson twice for Halloween. You have <laughs> in my teens. Really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, now I want to know some of the other costumes. I don't remember. But you know, you remember Willie, huh? I remember Willie. Yeah, because yeah. I, I remember that I, I was like, I can't believe I'm doing this again. <laughs> it worked once. Yeah. Why not fucking just do it? Yeah. Okay, so you do this fucking new record with such an uplifting title. I mean, how's your how's your head, man? My head hurts. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, is like I'm one of the few people in the world that gets to do what he actually wants to do, right? And I don't take that lightly. So, like, for me to like spend my days in dread when that's true, that's just that doesn't seem right. You know? Do you ever? Are you ever concerned that without the sort of um, it's not I don't I don't see it as dark music, but it sort of functions for me the same way blues music does. It gives a sort yeah. of um it, it gives a, a almost like a, a kind of almost a, a celebration of pain. Yeah, that's what I've always thought about it. I've always approached it like some version of blues, even right. if it's not musically what we think of as the blues. Sometimes it is, but uh, that's what I've always thought of it, is the the approach. It's just like that's what's great about it. the blues is it, by making it a musical story, you're somehow adding this dash of magic to it that that makes it not all sad. It's amazing, right? Like yeah. I never like I've been listening to blues my whole life, and I don't know if if any of that really old stuff, where it's just a, a you know staticky you know guy with a guitar howling. Right. Um, but when you when just I, describe our latest record. <laughs> <laughs> you are a blues man. Static guitar and howling. Yeah. No, but like when I was the last time I was severely heartbroken, like I you know, you romanticize all this stuff. You grow up with music and you identify with it and you identify with the personalities of it and you like their guitar playing. And there's some part of you that thinks that, well, I could never be that good and these guys rock my ass off. They're the fucking awesome. And then like like the last time I was severely heartbroken, I'm like, well, I'm going to apply the medicine. Yeah, I'm going to listen to the blues to see, you know, what that, you know, if it can actually, you know, solve my broken heart. And it fucking does. Yeah. It works. Yeah. Like there like there if you have that 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 heaviness or that pain and you fucking lock in and it's the same with your music, you put it on, you're like, This is speaking directly to the injury. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then, you know, I mean, part part of it's the misery loves company thing. You know, like, it's just very comforting to know you're not alone, that you're not the only person that feels like this. But even some of the, like, in, in your stories and some of the sort of landscapes that you create, they're, they're not, they're, they're not, uh, they're, they're not happy places, but they're real places. And, you know, you choose them. And, and then you, you're sort of walking through this. And it, there's, how do, I, I don't know what it is, but it seems like it's more, I, I don't like uh, uplifting things that are uplifting on purpose 
I'm, I'm not really, I uh, don't love positive people that much. I, I find it dubious. <laughs> <laughs> but there's something about grit and sort of a sort of celebration of the real that's like fucking that's that's good. Well, I'm always striving to be that positive person, but I have so much of the other side, you know, working against it that it, it doesn't make it, you know, even on my best days, it's not going to be unbearable for anybody. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so you strive, but you know that you will never meet it. So somehow that puts you in the middle of I'm, I'm OK at parties. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Have you ever sort of like you know, applied any sort of like uh, like uh, tools to like you know I'm gonna I'm gonna do this differently. I'm gonna be happy today. Um. Yeah. No. I mean, I honestly, whenever I think of can think of that, I do try to apply it. Like, I feel like we have a choice every day or every hour or every minute to like be happier or not than we are. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's really like. There is a, a choice in the matter. You can you can be unhappy, or you can look around at all the good things about your life. You know that kind of thing. Yeah, the, and I do try to do that a lot, but I don't do it enough. But I'm always trying to do it. That's the the gratitude list concept. Well, what's that? Well, basically, like I feel like shit, and everything sucks, and what's the fucking point? Maybe yeah. I'll make a list of the good things. Yeah. Well, oh, there's, look, yeah, there's always somebody worse off, you know, and, and yeah. there's certainly a lot of people worse off than me. So I don't I don't feel like I have the right to you know complain now who how do you uh like as like i just started to sort of uh gain some people who seem to like me specifically as yeah. opposed in a general yeah. way yeah your, your shit's blowing up yeah well. but i mean how do you like when you look at your fans you know who are they do you because uh, i find that like my honest fans are, are are sort of like some reflection of me you know like I, they're generally like i don't attract an age group i attract a disposition right you know, so i so, <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, slightly right. Uh, kind of like sensitive, sometimes angry. Right, right. Uh, a lot of times sort of like not that socially interactive. Right, right. Uh, And they all show up. Disgruntled that, postal worker. Not quite that far. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't have any fans that come up to me and I'm nervous. You know, right, like, you know, right. yeah, I have all your records. Right. But, uh, but I, I do find some comfort in that. Like, have you ever had that moment where you, you look at your fans and you're like, are they me? Is this is this part of me? Well, they are part of you because they're they're being moved by you. So, they have you ever had that moment where you're like, I, I maybe I don't know exactly who I am because there seems to be a lot of commonality among the people that like me. It's one of those things that I don't think about too much because uh, you know I've always just treated myself as the audience. Like I'm just trying to impress myself. Imagine I'm in the audience. Like you can't write a song and go, this will make this kind of right audience react or something so you just impress yourself right what i do like about our audience from what i can tell from night to night and looking out into the house is that it's always different you know there is no uh there's no actual demographic you know right that that i can see that's consistent it's all you know it's always different so it is just about you know people's mindset or or whatever i guess yeah yeah. and i don't know exactly what that is yeah yeah have you ever had have you ever been completely misunderstood I I often wonder um, if, like, in foreign countries, non-English speaking countries, if they're assigning a lot uh, more credit to the lyrics than they're really there or something. You know, like, well, boy, these people sure think I'm a genius for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think in music that if you, you know, music can all be very simple, but if you are, you know, if you have the sound that defines you, you've done something. Yeah, you know what I mean? You've done an amazing thing. There's genius in that. Like I mean, there you know, like you can put on a record of yours and be like, "Oh, that's of course, that's 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 E." 
And that's like that's that's what you're really going for, right? There's an honesty to that. Yeah, hopefully, you know. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times when I hear my own records, it's like it's so me, you yeah. know. It like it rubs me the wrong way. <laughs> Believe it, me, because it feels because it makes you feel kind of naked and exposed, yeah. and you're just like, Ugh. oh god. It's, yeah. it's always weird, like when you hear yourself on the radio or something. You're like, yeah. God, this just doesn't. It sounds so much worse than every, all the songs before it and after it. Because it's me, you know. And, the, and there's pe- other people are listening to this right now. Yeah, this is embarrassing. <laughs> Cover me up. Somebody Put something <laughs> on, man. <laughs> that is, that's really the, the, that's really the worst experience of that. Like, you know, it's one thing to to sort of listen to yourself, or in my case, see yourself on television and go, oh, you're terrible. Yeah. But there, there's a whole yeah. different thing where you're like, oh my God, it's so raw. It's yeah. a, like he like I'm just showing that to people and ugh, what yeah. are they going to do with that? You know, why didn't somebody take care of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, you know, I try to have a mechanism that doesn't let that stop me. Like if I write something in a, a lyric in a song and I'm like, oh boy, that's going to be embarrassing. I, yeah. just, I just say, well, that probably means I got to go with it because <laughs> it's you know? like it, there's an it's going to be more real. Yeah, yeah honesty yeah. to it. Yeah. Well, do you want to play some tunes? Sure. Okay. Um, they using your music in any movies? That happens, yeah. Yeah, I know. I saw yeah. that. Do you ever yeah. score? I have. Yeah, a, a couple times. It's uh, that's hard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what's hard about it is trying to make somebody else happy. <laughs> Turns out, not my thing. Not my jam. <laughs> Believe me, that that's a that's a big problem in life in general. Yeah, is how much you're gonna do that. Uh, this is one from the new album, and it's called. Uh, True original. She's a true original. Not some store-bought rebel. She can find her own way home You just have to let her Whichever path she finds It's hers to take And if she says she's fine You just have to wait for her an artist in the world She composes from the heart The finished song is always there Well before she starts Time she might get the words wrong. You just turn it up and you you sing along with her.
If a gun was pointed at her I would stand between the bullet and her And if not being with me is what makes her happy I'd take that bullet too Whichever path she finds It's hers to take And if she says she's fine I just have to wait for her She's a true original God, that's a great one. Thanks. Is that about anybody? That was about somebody, yeah. You don't know her. Yeah. <laughs> she gone? No, she's around. Oh, that's good. I mean, she's, you know, it's a long story, but she's not, it's not uh, part of my life or anything, but she's around. She was part of your <laughs> life, though, huh? Perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> that's a heartbreaker, buddy. It happens, you know, it's part of life. The, you know, the whole um, accepting people's choices when they're not about you. That's tough. A, it's a tough one. It's, it's fucking tough. Tough pill to swallow. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, but I am of the belief that it is better to have loved and lost than not to have loved at all. You know, at least you were lucky enough to experience love. That's a good thing. That's something you learn from country songs. Yep. George Jones taught me that long time ago you know when you hear those things before you've had some life it's just it's just sort of like a romantic idea yeah and then when you start to really invest your heart and uh it doesn't go the way you want it you, you literally get to a point i mean i agree with you it's better to love and to have lost and to never have loved at all but after a certain point you're like god do i want to do that again right <laughs> You do get gun shy at times. Yeah, when you really feel heartbreak and you know the the the, yeah. the pain of it, you're like, I don't, I don't know, man. Yeah, I mean, I'm 49. How many more of those do I get? Right. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. I don't know if I can live through another one of those. I know exactly what you're talking about, and it's like it's a young man's game. <laughs> yeah. In a way, though, it's a little easier, I think, as an older guy, because when you're young, you're so clueless and you just think you're gonna die, you know. And now you know by your own hand, usually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah hopefully. Yeah, you know? <laughs> but, yeah. But yeah, you're um, now. You can go. Okay, well, I, I survived that. You know, you can see that really. You know, time can heal anything. That's true, but when you're in it, it's not always clear, right? That, but so, like, we have that wisdom at least now, right? Be like, but it doesn't make it any more, any less painful at the time. Yeah. Have you ever been at that precipice where you realize, like, when you're heartbroken and it's done, whatever it is, and, you know, you, you realize, well, I can either be bitter and angry, maybe for the rest of my life, or I could just experience the fucking grief of this. Right. 
It's and it's such a hard choice to make because because it's it's oh you're never in the mood for grief you know but it yeah. is it's the right choice to make if you're strong enough to do it to just go I don't want this to ruin my whole life I'm just going to deal with this now you know but yeah but it's pretty hard to make that choice and I, I I appreciate what you're saying about you know young man's game and when you're older you got wisdom but even when you're older and you find yourself in that situation knowing what you know. It's like you're like you know okay the worst that can happen is that but when you say that you're usually blinded yeah blinded by the love yeah and you still don't think you're gonna have to deal with that again yeah but you know who knows you know it's another record right <laughs> well I got enough of those <laughs> I you know, I'm not someone that goes out looking for drama so I have something to write about. No, I don't think because that shit has just been thrust upon me so much. I don't need to do that, and um, so I have I have the opposite problem with so many people, you know, and who do what I do. Like I don't, I don't. I'm looking for nice things to be thrust upon me, and uh, right I'd like to write about that for a change. Well, when people ask me that, do you, do you think you'd be a different type? Would you still be funny without your anger, without your pain, as if like that's some sort of agenda we're maintaining? I don't. I never looked for that. Did you see the sixty minutes thing about Judd recently? Uh-uh. It was really touching because they had a part where they showed um, a scene from Freak, Freaks and Geeks, mm-hmm. where the, uh, the really geeky one, Martin Starr, yeah, was uh, he was really unhappy and he would go home and oh, eat and, the sandwich and watch the and, yeah. and watch the That's, yeah, the TV show favorite, and start laughing scene, yeah. while the Who song is playing. Yeah, and um, and Judd said that was basically him. Yeah, and and I was. I was that kid too, you know. Like I was exactly that too. You know? so yeah, that, I think that's where my funniness came from. Right, or just that 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 humor was so effective at relieving the isolation yeah. of being that kid. Right. Yeah. Well, it was great talking to you, Mark. It was. It was a lot of fun. It's fun to finally see where all the magic happens. And thanks for having me here. It's a pleasure. Let's do it again. Yeah. You feel good about it? I feel great. Okay. That's it. That's the show. Holy shit, I feel like I want to play some more guitar. Hold on. Because at the end, I feel, I, there's less pressure at the end. You know what I mean? Like right now, like I don't know who's hanging out. You can go to WTFPod.com for all your WTFPod needs. Um, oh, yeah. See how that goes? Uh, you can get, get some merch. You can uh, get some uh, get on the mailing list. Yeah. You can, uh, what else can you do? Yeah, check the episode guide, leave some comments. You can get the app and upgrade to the premium app. What am I doing? I'm just, I'm not even, I'm just practicing. Boomer lives.